today uh, we're going to be talking on this Father's Day uh, about an interesting topic. It's going to be about the Father's love for Jesus on the cross at that moment in time. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's a little bit weird, as you'll see, as we start to look into it. And it might not have be something that you've really put thought into. But before we get to that, I want to I wanna set it up. Uh, so I've recently come to realize, like for real, I've probably heard it like my whole life, but I've recently really began to grasp that everything has always been about the cross. Always. Everything has always always been about the cross ever since before the world was created. And then all the Bible is about the cross. All the stuff leading up to it, all the stuff after it, it's all about the cross. And um, let's, let's look at some of these verses here. I gave you a lot of, lots and lots and lots of verses um, to look at, to study on your own if you want to. So 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Actually, hold up. I forgot that that's how this started. I really like that. The empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. That's, that's what we have outside of Jesus is an empty life. And God paid a ransom there at the cross to save us from the empty life. I don't like empty life. Empty life, boo. No fun. Um, <laughs> horrible. Um, empty life leads to depression, anxiety, bitterness, uh, hopelessness, but you can have a very full life in Christ. Anyway, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. It's always been about Jesus. And then in Revelation, uh, referencing the Antichrist, Revelation 13.8 says, And all the people who belong to this world uh, worshipped the beast, and they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Before the world was made. Lamb was slaughtered. Jesus, everything is always about Jesus. When God made the world, he did it through the paradigm of the cross. When he thought you up, he thought you up through the paradigm of the cross. When you were born and you were walking through all your sins, he was loving you through the paradigm of the cross. He's forgiving you through the paradigm of the cross. And all your future victories are made possible through the paradigm of the cross. Acts 2, 22 through 24 says, but God knew what would happen. Duh. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. His prearranged plan. This was always, always the plan. No surprises. No surprise in God. And then speaking of the Old Testament, Jesus says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. This, all the Old Testament scriptures. These are they that testify of me, Jesus says. 
Me and Federico are talking about Leviticus, everybody's favorite book. <laughs> it testifies of Jesus. All the law, all the prophets, all the Psalms, all the Proverbs, all the poems, it's all testifying about Jesus all along. When Adam and Eve sinned because they listened to the serpent, God looks at Satan and tells him that he's going to be defeated at the cross right there in Genesis, right in the very beginning of the Bible, at the cross. He makes sure to say this in the hearing of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve just sinned, and he looks at Satan and says in Genesis 3.15, and says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S in the New King James, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking about the cross. It's a little cryptic, but he's talking about the cross right there to Satan. He's like, your head's getting crushed, man. Yep. You're going you're gonna to bruise his heel when he's there on the cross, but your head's getting crushed, homie. Like, you are gone. Like, yeah, you think you got the victory. Adam and Eve just sinned. Um, her seed, that woman that just, you know, listened to you for a minute and sinned, her seed, Jesus Christ, crushing your head. Now, right there in the beginning, all about the cross. And this mirrors... Romans 16.20, which was written after the cross, and it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Because of the cross, which is now in our past, you walk in victory over Satan. That same victory that was prophesied there in the garden. His head's getting crushed. The first blood shed in all all of history on planet Earth uh, was a picture of the cross. And it was when God pierced Adam's side to create a bride for him. Does this sound familiar? Jesus' side was pierced at the cross to make the bride of Christ. It's all of us. We are saved because of the cross. And it was uh, made a picture right there when Adam's side was pierced for a bride to be made for him. The first life loss, that's different than the first bloodshed, the first life loss in all of history was a picture of the cross. And again, it happens right there when Adam and Eve sin, and it shows the grace and the goodness of our good father. Genesis 3, 10, and also verse 21 says, So he said, uh, this is Adam talking, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I, uh, I was naked and I hid myself. So he sinned, and now shame has entered into the world. Shame has entered into his heart. He's ashamed because of his sin, and he's hiding from God. Verse 21, uh, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and closed them. He, immediately after their sin, kills an animal. The first death in all of creation, an animal is slain, and those skins were used to cover their shame. This is the goodness of our God. Though we turn our backs on him, blood will be shed and he will clothe us of our shame. All about the cross, all along. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only um, son of the promise, he had two sons, but only one was the promised son because he had, it's his real wife anyway. You know the story. Um, 
So you, you might as well call him his only begotten son by his wife. Um, he was asked to sacrifice him. This child that bears within him the promise of God, Abraham was obedient, trusting correctly that perhaps God would provide a lamb to take Isaac's place or else that he would resurrect him. Um, let's read that in Genesis 22, 6 through 8. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And think about this picture, all right? His only son, the child that bears the promise of the kingdom of God, asked to be sacrificed, takes the wood, puts it on his back. Sound like anything? Um, and uh, he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. And um, I've been listening to a lot of this teacher in Orlando named Michael Quilianos lately. And he pointed out this particular passage. I never caught it before. So in this moment in time, God provides a lamb, I mean a, a ram, so that uh, Isaac doesn't have to be sacrificed. But Abraham was right. He says God is going to provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And he was referring to the Lamb of God, Jesus, which was going to happen thousands of years later. God provided a lamb to, save, to take our place so that we would not have to face death. Um, and in that moment, God provided a ram. That was the little temporary quick fix. Isaac, yeah, I see your heart, uh, Abraham. Here's a ram, but the lamb is coming. The lamb is coming. God will provide a lamb for himself. It's always been about the cross. Passover, obviously, as Brett just pointed out, is a picture of the cross. You know, the death angel, the wrath of God because we are deserving of sin it's passing over us. What? But I thought I was worthy of sin. No, there's blood on the door. The wrath of God passes over. It's all about the cross. Rahab, the Gentile prostitute, um, she put a scarlet cord out of her window, a picture of the cross. Though she was a prostitute, a sinner, a Gentile, not part of God's people. She decided she was going to serve the people of God and God and the red coming out the window like the blood on the door was a picture of the salvation, saving blood of Jesus over her household and she was saved. Even Job uh, is a picture of the cross. So in this story, Satan tries to crush the spirit of the servant of God in order that the servant might curse God. But the suffering servant glorifies God, bringing shame upon Satan. The suffering servant then gains far more than he ever lost. Did you ever see that before? Picture of Jesus. By the way, that's, that's our calling. We're called to the life of Job. I didn't know if you knew that. But it's an honor because throughout your suffering, you get to rain all sorts of shame down on Satan's head as you glorify God when he's trying to get you to curse God because of your suffering. 
So it is my privilege to uh, shame the devil. Um, all the prophets, as we talked about before, uh, prophesied of the coming Messiah, every single one of them. Uh, the suffering servant, Jesus on the cross. Uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost because of the cross. He says there in, uh, I think, John 15. I didn't put it in my notes. But he's like, I, I, I got to go so that I can give you the Holy Spirit. It's the cross. He's like, I, I got to do this. I got to make you uh, able to receive God in you. God, the Holy Spirit. Right now, you can't receive God in you because you are not righteous. Your, your sins are you know, it's disgusting and filthy. Nothing you can do about it, but there's something I can do about it. Let me go take care of that on the cross so that I can fill you with the Holy Spirit. Um, the Christians in the New Testament walked in miraculous power and self-sacrificial love because of the cross. In heaven, Jesus is worthy to open the scroll because of the cross. And the heavenly angels forever sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And they sing that because of the cross. In the last two chapters of the Bible, we see that one day all things will be made right. You know, no more tears, no more entropy, everything eternal and beautiful and joyful forever because of the cross. Regardless of your sin, your shame is removed, and you are a new creation because of the cross if you receive that gift. That is awesome. So when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, he was not saying, all I'm ever going to teach on is John 3, 16. Um, what he actually meant was, all I'm going to teach you is the full expression of the full body of Scripture. That's it. That's what I'm teaching you the full expression of the full body of Scripture because it's all about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But there's one aspect of the cross, and here's where uh, we're getting to the interesting part. Um, one aspect of the cross that can still be a stumbling block to Christians if you think about it. And if we don't deal with this, um, we run the risk of having our faith derailed should certain things come into our lives. And that is the love of the Father towards Jesus on the cross and I'll point out why that is challenging in a minute. Actually, there's a uh, youth that goes to our youth. And he, he asked me the question. His name is Cameron. He asked me a uh, question. He's the one that got me thinking about this. Uh, he was like, so God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die. So he doesn't love Jesus as much as he loves us. Like The Father's love is very confusing in this situation, if you think about it. And it's actually critical that we understand the full picture of it. And, and I had to actually think about it, because I didn't have an answer for him at the moment. And it's what led to this teaching. So yeah, we all do know John 3.16. Hopefully, it's a critical verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So yes, absolutely true. You might have even heard John 17, 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience. This is Jesus actually praying to the Father about us. I am in them and you, Father, are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Um, 
See, but that's where it's starting to get tricky. But Jesus was sent to be tortured by the Father. And God loves us that much? So we got to think about this. So what do we do with Isaiah 53:10a, which says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. You see, what's going to happen is if we don't understand this, if we don't grasp the love of the Father, the intense love of the Father for Jesus, even while Jesus was on the cross, then we might be tempted to think that God doesn't love us when we are experiencing some difficulty. We might be tempted to think that he has abandoned us but when we understand the love of the Father towards Jesus while Jesus was suffering, it's very hopeful. And we're going to get to see just what his love meant to Jesus and what sort of amazing, beautiful rewards come out of that love. You're going to see it. It's going to be great. Um, what do we do with Luke 21, 41 through 44? That it says, he walked away about a stone's throw. This is Jesus. And knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Um, that's intense. Like, do you ever think about that? Like, he's asking the Father, like, is the cross the only way? Because I'm not looking forward to this. Like, please take this cup of suffering away. And then we saw in Isaiah, it was God's good plan to crush him. So we're getting this, it, at a quick glance, at a cursory glance, it looks like a conflict. Like, oh, God is kind of a sadist, like, at least to Jesus. Like, what's going on here? But as you're going to see, it's not at all that way. It's really beautiful. All right. Ah, uh, so God the Father loves us as he loved Christ. So is the Father's love fickle? Is God the Father a sadist? Of course not. Um, so let's address this challenging stuff because we have to get it. An understanding of the Father's love, particularly his love for Jesus on the cross, the same love with which he loves us is so crucial. Um, we don't want to get shipwrecked when we experience suffering. So here it is. Let's start digging into this. Psalms 2, 7 through 8. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. So um, God the Father is saying to Jesus, he's like, oh, just ask. I'll give you whatever you want. You want the nations? I'll give you the nations. This is how much I love you. My love is so deep. So the cross was a gift to Jesus from the loving Father because what Jesus wanted was the nations. He wanted us. And he's like, yes, son, I love you so much. I'm going to give you what you want. Let's go get the nations for you. So it was a, a gift from the Father, the cross was, out of love. John 17, 19 says, and this is Jesus talking, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they may be made holy by your truth. So the second point, besides that the cross was a gift to Jesus from a loving father, second point is, it's what Jesus wanted. I give myself as a holy sacrifice. So he, they agreed on this. Like, you want this? Do you want this? Is this what you want? I want to get you the best thing you could ever have. What do you want more than anything? And he's like, them. 
He's like, all right, let's, you got it. It's yours. Do you really want it? I mean, it's going to be in the cross. All right. Um, John 17, 24. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Uh, then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved them even before the world began. So point number three in this part, Jesus loves the love of the Father so much, he chose the cross so you could experience it too. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So point four of looking at the love of the Father towards Jesus, we see that the Father's loving plan was always to elevate Jesus. So when it says it was his good plan to crush him, what it means, it was his good plan to elevate him above every other name, that he would be glorified. There would not be a tongue in all of history or creation that does not uh, confess that he is Lord. Hitler is going to confess that he is Lord Osama bin Laden is going to confess that he is Lord. Your really annoying boss is going to confess that he is Lord. And you are going to as well. Everybody. And it was happening because of the cross. The father loves his son so much. Like, he wants him to be famous. He wants him to have the praises of the people. He wants them to have everything he wants. It's like... He's just pouring everything out. He's giving him the universe. It's like, it's all yours, son. Jesus, this is for you because I'm a good father and I love you. John 3.35 says, The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. So point five, this loving gift of the cross is bigger than we realize. Because the cross is how he puts everything into his hands. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. And Revelation 19, 7 through 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the bride has prepared herself. Okay, this is really interesting. The bride has prepared herself, but how? She has been given. That's how she prepares. It's not anything that she's done. She just has to accept. That's how she prepares, by accepting. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. So with those two verses, we see point six. 
all God the Father ever wanted was for his son to have a bride, a bride, because that's what he wanted. And so he wanted to give him a bride. And so that's why he gave him the cross as a gift in total love. So now uh, let's go back and look at those confusing verses. How do we explain Jesus asking for the cup of suffering to be taken away? Did, does he not love us so much? That's not the case at all. This simply shows how great a sacrifice he had to make for you. Thus, that moment in time adds to the value of the cross. Because he's not saying, I don't want the people. I don't want this bride. I don't want your gift. What he's saying is, this is hell. God, Father, is there another way? And Father's like, there is no other way. This is the way. And then he's like, well, then let's do this. So he asks, is there another way? And the very asking adds value to what he did because it shows you what kind of suffering he had to go through to get you. And so, Lord, Father, is there another way? No? Okay. Then I'm in. I'm all in at this point. If that's it, I'm all in. I'm not making that up. Let's look at some Bible verses. Um, Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Father, is there another way? No. Well, but I still get them, right? Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, they're mine. I'm going to the cross, baby. Then he's on the cross. You know, they're whipping him. They're tearing his beard out. They're torturing him. All his skin is shredded off his back. Nails through his hands. Spear through his side. People ridiculing and making fun of him. All his best friends leaving. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he knew what he was getting. He's getting you. He's getting them. He says, Father, forgive them even while they're doing it. Isaiah 53, 10, that's the one where it says it was God's good plan to crush him. Sometimes when you hear funny verses, all you got to do is read it in context. I purposely read it out of context, make it look weird. Let's look at the whole thing. 10 through 12. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish. He, Jesus, will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Glory! So the father wasn't happy because Jesus would experience grief. Um, the father was happy that he was able to give Jesus everything he ever wanted and to lift him up and to glorify him before the world for all time. That's what he was happy about. In fact, the whole story of Abraham and Isaac and others in the Bible, um, I think he does this. He, you see a few times in Scripture where he has some humans go do some very uncomfortable things. Um, 
in regards to relationships, like, hey, I want you to go sacrifice your son that I promised your um, nation would be born from. Um, I think he does this so that we can get an idea for God's emotions. Like, Abraham, I'm sure, was far less concerned about the future generations than he was about his beloved son dying. Like, that's, that's hard. Like, I gotta go give up my son. I'm gonna trust you, Lord. I'm gonna trust that you're gonna do something. You're gonna provide a lamb or you're going to resurrect him. But I have to kill my son? Like, and of course, God stopped him um, and he didn't have to do it. But I think he does this sort of thing so that we know this was the father's heart when he sent Jesus. He's like, it hurts. It hurts so bad. Um, you, you see this elsewhere too, like in Hosea, uh, he tells uh, Hosea to go marry a super unfaithful hooker and like he's never going to know if the kids are even his. And he's like, that's how I feel. Like you go prostitute yourself worshiping everything else in the world. This is how I feel. He, he's got strong emotions. And so anyway, we look at for God so loved the world, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, we make it so simple. But like, it was, it was a sacrifice for the Father to send Jesus. Like, he loves Jesus, and he loves us, and he, his love is so great that he, he made it happen, even though it hurt him. And then he got to, you know, reap all these awesome rewards, and is continuing to reap these rewards. All right. Mm-hmm. One final question to answer. Does suffering and hardship mean we are not loved? Would a loving God allow us to ever suffer? Think about the cross, right? We are called to be like Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. I think that we are not exempt from suffering. I think that's part of this world um, because I saw that written in the scripture. Um, Think about the Father's love for Jesus on the cross. So as we might experience stuff, hardship, think about the Father's love that Jesus had for the cross. It says the same love with which he loves us. He loves us as much as he loves Jesus. And think about what he wants to do for Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything you've ever wanted. I'm going to give you the nations. I'm going to give you the people. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to glorify you. God loves us the same way. He's like, Rich, I want to give you everything you've ever wanted. You don't even know what you want, but I want to give you everything you ever wanted. Everything. That's how much he loves you. So when we're going through crap, because that's what we go through here in this world. We go through stuff, but we got to know the Father loves us as much as he loved Jesus when we're going through it. Think about what the Father was accomplishing for Jesus when Jesus was suffering, God will accomplish amazing things in our lives, even in times of suffering, because he always wants to accomplish great things in us. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, as I start to wrap up, the, can the band come back up? Um, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
you see his love for us has amazing, beautiful things for us. Hold on. And then say to that trial, say, suffering, you ain't worthy. Bow the knee, suffering, you are not worthy to compare to the glory that is going to be revealed to me. Here's some verses from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. I'm going to read 8 and 9 and also 16 through 18. We are hard-pressed on every side. Anybody felt that? Anybody ever felt hard-pressed? Oh, man. I wish I could feel that a little less. <laughs> Jesus, Father, can you take this cup? Oh, I'm a wimp. Uh, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yeah, those of us who are getting older, you know all about that. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles light and momentary troubles, uh, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know why? Because he loves you so much, he wants to give you more than you ever imagined. He wants to give you some crazy eternal glory. I like to read that. I don't know what it means. Sounds good, though. I'm, I'm in. Like, I'll take it, God. Eternal glory. That sounds better than affliction. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. We forget that a lot. Because this stuff that hurts, it's so quick. It's a flash and it's gone. But what is unseen, that big fat gift of God is eternal. You guys can start playing softly. I got a few more verses to finish up here. John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's lives for a friend. So God doesn't prove his love by protecting us from every potential harmful thing. Um, rather, the love of God compels us to die for others. You see, to call our enemies friends, to wash their feet. Like, no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. He's just, it's a calling to suffering. It's like, this is the Christian life. I'm gonna go serve you at any cost. You're actually called to the suffering, to lift others up, to love. But we're reminded in John 15, 17 through 18, this is my command, love each other if the world hates you. Remember it hated me first. John 16, one through two. I have told you these things so that, oh, this is it. This is the verse. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. The time is here right now where they think promoting all sorts of certain ideologies is for peace and unity and justification and to persecute biblical truth. Time is right there. But um, whatever comes against you, hold on to the words of Jesus so that you won't abandon your faith. Know that the Father loves us as much as he loved Jesus. 
Jesus warns in Matthew 24 that persecution will cause people to turn away because they are offended, obviously not seeing the love of the Father. It says, and many will turn away from me and betray each other. You see, because they're not seeing the love of the Father. And here I got two more verses to end this. Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's your invitation. Revelations 3, 20 through 22. Behold, this is Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he will be with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, listen. All right. Let's receive this. Let's accept his invitation. So we're gonna we're gonna worship for at least one song, and I want a ministry team up here, and I'm giving you uh, two reasons to come get prayer. One, if you're like, oh well, I've never even said yes to Jesus to begin with. There's a great starting point. We want to celebrate with you. You can come get prayer, pray to Jesus, give your life to Him, experience that love that I'm talking about. You can feel it even today and not wait till you're dead. Um, and then second, if you just are going through some challenges in life and you know that these words from the scripture are true, but you're not experiencing that breakthrough in your life, you just can't get out of that, that crappy mindset and you just feel oppressed or whatever, uh, we're just gonna pray these biblical truths over you that you have breakthrough, that you have life, you have liberty, that you have joy in the Holy Spirit to know the love of the Father, the same love with which He loved Jesus on the cross.